Yeah, Chris Kobach is out. So all of this, uh, all of this election fraud stuff is is nonsense. I mean, the our our giant soggy president can talk about how like the Florida or the Georgia or the Arizona returns are all you know this is rampant voter fraud, but like the commission that his handpicked guy put together in order to like suss out all of this voter fraud fell apart because they couldn't find anything. And now that guy doesn't even hold public office anymore. That guy failed so hard at finding voter fraud, which they were all convinced was so real. And this is the thing. I think Trump knows that voter fraud is not a thing, right? Oh, of course he he does. He knows that it's not real, but he also knows that he's like, well, it could be real though. Like, it wouldn't be that hard to do. So it's reality television to him. Right. Because it's possible. It's just as good as being real, being remotely possible just as good as having actually existed for his purposes. Right. It it gins up the base, which is basically he's just talking about ratings. You know, this 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 sort of made up drama gets you ratings. So Chris Kobach was the secretary of state in Kansas, and he is a true believer in election fraud. Unlike Trump, who just is using it for political posturing. (laughs) He's like, no, President Trump is right. There is rampant voter fraud. And I'm going to find it and I'm going to expose it to the world. And he (laughs) failed so hard that as a consolation, he just said, "Okay, I'm going to give up on this voter fraud thing because it's a mess. And I'm just going to run for Republican governor of Kansas. And he sucked so hard at finding (laughs) voter fraud that he lost a Republican governorship election in Kansas. Yeah, right. Uh, The like the first Democratic governor they've had in Kansas for like almost 20 years or something like that. Right. Even that is not enough for Trump to be like, maybe I need to back off the voter fraud nonsense because no, it doesn't play. <laughs> no, he's like double, triple down, quadruple down. And Marco Rubio's jumping on the train now. He's the new Kobach. Oh, it's beautiful. Jesus. What Chris Kobach, Chris Kobach, come on, liquid flannel. We want to talk to you. Like, are you just are you just fuming at home now going like, this is voter fraud. This is why I lost the election. You know, now that he lost, he's probably going to like do his own like like voter app or something. And it's just going to be like a shit show and he's going to get all the Republicans to adopt it just to to pour money into his pockets. And it's going to be like the most insecure election app in the world or something. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful plan. Yeah, I guess I guess my concern is uh, like we already know that these big media companies, you know, Facebook or Google or Amazon or whatever, they're already taking way more data from people than most people are aware of. But at least that's just corporations controlling that and they're just using it to make money um but we also know that like the docs threat and like death threats and stuff through like tweets that people make those are a big deal i i don't see how democratizing that information that in all in all reasonableness should be kept private um, putting that out to the mob, I don't, I don't see how that how that's going to help anything. I'm kind of surprised that no company has created an app, Pocket Stenographer or whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> where it just like transcribes everything it hears, <laughs> and then you could just be like, "What was that person saying?" Let me yeah, scroll right. back or whatever. Well, like, how I does mean, that not exist? The technology is there. It absolutely exists. It's just Google and Amazon doing right. it. They just don't us, give it to yeah. you. They just keep it for themselves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's funny, though, because now it was, you know, at that time it was like, oh, what a dream that would be to have a, a written record, you know, an archive of, of everything you've ever heard or said or experienced. 
and it was like, wouldn't that be amazing? And now it's like, <laughs> what a horrific nightmare well, that, that would be. Because yeah, that shit would get hacked immediately, do like a keyword search for like anything offensive that you've ever said, release the, <laughs> the tapes of it, you know, uh, what a nightmare. Which which already happens, but also like those of us who weren't super <laughs> terrified of it uh, just became podcasters. Yeah, no, we're, do- we're making it too easy for them. <laughs> That's good. That's a good lead in. <laughs> Thank you for joining us again on the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, joined as ever by my very good friend and co-host in Omaha, Nebraska, Brendan Williams. Brendan, hi. I'm, I'm hanging in there. We're back. We d- we still have a podcast. There is a podcast, yes. We Contrary had some, to popular belief, had some, it's happening. Uh, some technical difficulties last week, but that's all right. We're gonna we're gonna pod through it. Yeah. Well, good. Nothing happened uh, in the, in the last two weeks. No elections or anything. Yeah, occurred. nothing. Nothing super exciting. Pretty much no news uh, at all. Uh, so it works out. It worked out really well. It's all right. You know, I think it actually works well for us to have given it. You know, basically two weeks since the midterms to finally start digesting some of this information that came out right because well the elections are still happening right they're still going on oh gosh that uh, i talked about that maine election where the congress oh that's the uh, maine the the ranked choice voting state right yeah so here's what happened the democrat won the second round because he had enough number two votes to put him over 50 percent brilliant and uh the Republican is suing and saying that it's illegal and unconstitutional <laughs> to do an election that way, which is funny that he's waiting until now. Like, you'd think if that was your position, maybe do that beforehand or yeah, something. I no. mean, I guess you got to have standing, so that helps. <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, it's still an amazing thing that this is actually happening. I hope this court case goes well and they say, yeah, ranked choice voting is fine. Right. And what a great way to have an election where... There's a benefit to saying, I want to be someone's second choice and not the person who's like polarizing, right? Where some people love him yeah. and everybody else hates him. Yeah, well, sure. That's the that's the entire virtue of ranked choice voting, right? That uh, basically you end up with a lot of compromised candidates, which in theory, I don't think that's the same thing as saying centrism is good. But in theory, it's the person who just seems like a good public servant is probably going to get the is is going to get the win. Yeah. And I think it really encourages positive campaigning and not negative campaigning, right? Because it's not as helpful to attack your opponents. You don't want to get those, you know, last choice votes sure. by, you know, attacking your potential voters, right? Yeah. And and I think it, it probably works well for anybody who would run under a third party, uh, the Democratic Socialists or the Green Party or something, um, it, what it does is I think it encourages people to have substantive policy positions. So maybe any given voter is still going to vote for like their polarized option. Um, but then they're going to go like, oh, this person seems reasonable. They've got some good ideas. Second place. And if everybody on the other side does that, too, you end up with the fucking Democratic Socialist in office. Who's going to actually like try to fix the highways or whatever they, right. they can't. Well, and on. I think um, about how some places like do local elections as ranked elections and you get political parties where it's like the legal marijuana now party or whatever. But <laughs> right. again, it's to their benefit to band together, you know, as a party, 
and then have people say, hey, do you want our do you want to win our second choice votes or whatever? Like, come on and talk to us. Um, I think that's an amazing thing that this political situation could use a lot more of, right? Of actual people saying, hey, maybe we don't agree about everything, but there is stuff that we can agree on. And I also think it's beneficial to the left who has great political ideas, but an absolutely horrible system to try to implement those ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And and really any third party. Uh, I'm going to say like the Libertarian Party fits into this also. Not that I agree with pretty much anything they agree with except for legalizing weed and abolishing the prison system. Uh, but yeah, the Libertarian Party, the Greens, the Democratic Socialists, uh, maybe even the Tea Party like would, would benefit from this. You know, run your own uh, extremist campaign or whatever and see how many second place votes you get. Probably yeah. not that many. You know, what it's going to favor is people who are actually speaking to voters' material interests and offering solutions that you're not going to get from either major party. In a, in a political climate like we're in now, where both parties are driven to talk about things that are basically just unachievable, right? In a, in a, in, in our current political <laughs> right. situation, whether or not they're good ideas or not is irrelevant. Hashtag build the wall, you know, isn't going to happen tomorrow. You know, hashtag Medicare for all isn't going to happen tomorrow in, in this political right, climate. Yeah. So there is, you know, a benefit to having political parties that say like, hey, let's legalize marijuana. Like we can get we could do that. Right. There's enough people who care about that. What over 60 percent of people or whatever who now support that and no political party supports it. Yeah, it has like 70 percent support on the Republican side at this point. It's it's yeah, that's that's nuts. Um, so I, I don't know if Maine does it, but I know that Minnesota does uh, rank choice voting also for local candidates, which I think makes even more sense. You know, when you when you're voting in a national election, it's good to have these big, broad, sweeping policy platforms because the federal government doesn't actually do that much stuff that affects your life. Uh, maybe set some like educational standards, certainly like federal tax policy. Uh, and then basically the rest is like land management and military. Uh, but your local elections, that's where rank choice makes even more sense. You know, that like there's a there's like a hard left, or hard left, <laughs> yeah, where, hard Democrat, hard Democrat school board candidate and a hard like Republican school board candidate. And then there's this third person who just wants to address, you know, like library funding or something like that. Um, which is going to be everybody's second choice. I think I think ranked choice makes even more sense, like they do in Minnesota, for local elections, for your for your governor, for your state reps, for any of these other uh, administrative positions, where they're actually making the the decisions that affect your day to day life in a way that the federal government really doesn't. Um, but that's that's the thing everybody gets caught up in all the time, um, and and I think it also offers an opportunity for like socialists to run for local office under right. that kind of regime. You know, like we should be pushing for more ranked choice voting because in the midterms, we also saw a, a bunch of people who identify with being much harder left than even the Democratic Party get elected right. into office. 
And if we could get a, a more favorable voting system, uh, you know, electoral, right, whatever algorithm into place, I think you would have even more people elected to local office. And that's how you build a backbench to start running right. people for Congress or for president or whatever, which is that's where the Greens always fall down. They 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 show up every four years and run somebody for president when really what they should be advocating for is electoral for electoral reform at the local level. And then they could get everybody in, a, you know, a, a couple of districts in a big swing state to be like Green Party yeah. politicians. Well, I think here's the craziest thing. It, our political climate is so divided that I think there's people who are disillusioned Republicans who would be more likely to vote for someone who's like a socialist than a Democrat, right? They'd be like, well, anything but a Democrat, right? A, an actual socialist, you know, sure, why not? At least they, you know, uh, you know, have a belief system or whatever. Democrats are nothing, you know. There's there's people out there that just hate the Democrats so much that they'll vote for Donald Trump, you know. If they'll vote for Donald Trump, they'll vote for anyone, yeah, no, that's that's totally right, and especially if um, not not abandoning identity politics, but also building economic justice into a party platform. You that that's the actual lost vote. The people who voted, who who have been reliable Democratic voters in like Michigan or Wisconsin for generations, and suddenly they voted for Donald Trump. They were looking for. Something that spoke to their interests, right? So if you've got a like a third party, like a socialist party, that's going to talk to, uh, we're we're actually going to hold the banksters accountable, and we're going to try to you know make it easier for you to put food on the table. Like I think you win a lot of those right. people. Or back. like you know having a program like some Democratic leftist candidates now are talking about with like, hey, there's like a federal jobs guarantee, right? Where it's like, if you don't have a job, like you come, like we will give you a job. Go clean the park or whatever, yep. you know, stuff like that. Sure. And it would be like in a, in a situation where you have 3% unemployment, why not? You know what I mean? It, it just yep. makes sense. So I don't know. Well, especially since, I mean, everybody knows that those unemployment numbers are bullshit, right? Because they don't count... Anybody who is completely given up looking for a job, they also don't count people who are underemployed vis-a-vis -vis the qualifications that they have. You know, you, you, have, you have a lot of people with college degrees who are still paying the bills by like waiting tables or something. And that's not to denigrate people who wait tables. That's a that's a legitimate job. But wouldn't it be better if we could put those people to work doing I don't know what? planning out a right. new park or you know what whatever whatever better thing they could be slotted into put a bunch of these uh liberal arts majors into social work you know our our social work agencies are intensely underfunded and uh you know they they do the best on the right. shoestrings that they've got but man wouldn't it be great if you could just put a bunch of people right. into those departments to help process, I don't know, child abuse cases right. and shit like, like all that. those cities that you hear about where they're like a nine year backlog of like rape kits to test or whatever. Like, oh, well, right. Uh, but like you, Mr. Public School Teacher, can you like work at like the Walmart stockroom on the weekends, please? And like take those yes. jobs away yeah. from like teenagers who could actually benefit from those jobs. Uh, 
And instead they just say like, oh, well, we're just not going to pay you enough as a teacher that you can even live in the city that you teach in. So instead, why don't you just like work at an Amazon warehouse on nights and weekends or whatever? 100%. And we, we see this from the kind of the conservative commentariat talking about how, well, you know, working at McDonald's, working at a car wash, working at Dairy Queen or whatever, like these these were never intended to be jobs that would sustain you. They're not supposed to be living wages. It's it's for putting money into teenagers pockets. And it's like, OK, dude, have you been to your Walmart lately? Because there are fully employed people like public school teachers, like you said, who are working these jobs stocking shelves. This this isn't optimal. Right. And it's funny because like what would they rather be doing? They'd be like, oh, I should be grading these papers or whatever. Like I should I should be at home reading right. these kids English essays or whatever. But now I got to wait until after I, my shift gets done at 10 p.m. and like go home and do a shitty job out of it when really they would love nothing more than to be like, oh, I have nothing to do. I could just, you know, sit here all night, listen to jazz and like read some high school essays about, you know, Romeo and Juliet. You know, just, I, I love it. Right. Not not to get too radical for our show, but, you know, at some point pretty soon, we're going to have to have the conversation about reducing the expected work week. You know, it's it's one thing to put everybody into a 40 hour per week job, but also if it doesn't feel like there's enough work going around to keep everyone employed that much, maybe everyone just needs to work less. Uh, they, they do it in other countries with remarkable success. People get to spend more time at home with their families, which is good for societal cohesion. You know, that's that's even a thing that you could bring the hard ride in on. Like everybody just works less. You get to spend more time right. with your you family. You get to spend more time going to church or whatever you love to do, right? Didn't you always say sure. whatever you whatever you want to do with right. that with that time. Yeah, is, I always wanted to volunteer, to but I'm just exhausted after I after I get home all day. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't even do Absolutely. anything for the last three yeah, hours because I was, more, like, had a big lunch and I was really tired. <laughs> I think you'd see a lot more volunteerism. I think I think you'd see a lot more civic engagement, a lot more community gardening. That so kind of hippie stuff. trash. Uh, that's what you're you saying, know, right? A, a whole bunch of hippie trash. That ain't Absolutely. making corporate profits, bro. <laughs> that, that that ain't America. Is that contributing to shareholder value? I didn't think so. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't really cut a dividend off of it. Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, I think there's there's a possibility to go back to that hopeful vision of the future where your increased production didn't mean increasing shareholder value by 10%. Let's increase it by 40% by working 80-hour yeah. weeks until you get burnout or whatever. Like, that's actually yeah, sure. not sustainable. It's not better for really anyone. Um, it, it's, it just drives a, a bad corporate culture. Um, and, you know, you see people do it because, you know, it can be successful, right? Because you're in a, you know, hyper-competitive environment where yeah, if, if there was if a regulatory you... structure that allowed, that, you know, made a more level playing field... It, it, right now, it's if you're in the right place at the right time and you happen to have the right qualifications, some of which are not really legal qualifications but have to do with the culture of whatever you're trying to get promoted for, yes, you can hit the lottery in this country. But that's what it is. It's like buying a Powerball ticket. You know, you're – ah, man, I, I – uh, when it, when I first moved down here, I was looking for some kind of job, some any job at all that was going to be kind of a professional job. And I sent out probably 200, 250 job applications. I didn't hear back from 
almost anybody. And one of them, one of the things I did hear back from was the Better Business Bureau. And it was just for like some data entry job. <laughs> and it was like, we really appreciate, uh, like you look like really qualified for this job. We did have about 700 people apply for this job. So we're going with the person who has more experience, which was like, you know, somebody who is also out of work at the age of like 55, who's been like a manager in the past. And now you're getting a data entry job at the Better Business Bureau. I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure what my point was. Yeah, there. no, you're right. It's it's not ideal. It seems like it seems like there could be some common sense solutions uh, if we had a functioning political system where yeah. people could actually care about doing things that like helped people instead of just which party is like scoring political points and how does it look and you know what are the optics and what's the spin and what are you know what are how can you attack what that person's doing it it's 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 horrific really you know we talked on a a recent episode about the idea of there not really being a a unifying forward looking and optimistic narrative uh in our uh our our polis you know um that there really isn't anything nobody's selling like any kind of hopeful vision of the future right now you've got the the revanchist like trumpism um which is just basically we're gonna we're gonna make america great again by taking it back to the 1950s except now everybody works in tech i guess everybody else is kind of just talking about like problems and uh like addressing like the big problems like being mad is basically our politics right now instead of being hopeful and i think that that's an opportunity for the left to try to like start messaging like we need um maybe we'll talk about this in the next segment but i've i've been uh playing that game that game that you gave me no uh, it's finally <laughs> happened it, it has it has finally happened and oh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done with oh, bioshock man. infinite now oh. Oh, snap. Uh, but I, I I think that there's a lot of politics that we can unpack on that. But one of the things that it's it's made me reflect on is uh, just political messaging and the idea of being able to promote a vision of like, why are the other people wrong for these reasons? We have a vision for you for the future. And, you know, in Bioshock Infinite, it's either you're going to go to heaven because you're white or you're going to go to heaven because you work 18 hour days. Um, but at least it's a message that's effective propaganda. I think the only person who's doing positive politics right now is, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up because I do want to talk about AOC. She has been all over the media the last couple of days and it's going to be great. television right now. How are you feeling? Can you put it into words? Nope. <laughs> I cannot put this into words. All right. Your, your supporters here are very excited for you. I, this was a grassroots campaign. Can you believe the numbers was. that you're seeing right now? I cannot believe these numbers right now, but I do know that every single person here has worked their butt off to change the future of the Bronx and Queens. That's what I know. That's what I know. 
and that this victory belongs to every single grassroots organizer, every working parent, every mom, every L member of the LGBTQ community, every single person is responsible for this. Well, I think what we've seen is that working class Americans want a clear champion, and there is nothing radical about moral clarity in 2018. Go. Oh, man. Do you remember when that sign language person was doing like the hurricane evacuation and then it turned out they just like didn't even know oh sign yeah that's right just gesticulating wildly <laughs> which is uh i mean that gets the message across pretty clearly i think if you're looking at weather maps and somebody is just gesticulating like everything's crazy and awful yeah, i mean you know it's i guess it's nice to like get a translation of like what the governor is saying but like look if you just read like the scrolling text at the bottom <laughs> right. of the screen like you get the gist of it. You know what they're saying, right? They're just saying, like, hey, like, this is for real. Like, hurricanes are not yeah. safe. Uh watch out. Like, you get Actually, it. I, you don't you don't necessarily need the word. I don't for know. Me. I've I've watched, you know, like cable news on mute before, and you completely ignore the person standing there because you can't hear what they're saying. You're just watching the scroll and the little like headlines pop up or the little leads. Um and right. if someone were up there actually just looking like they were freaking out, just completely losing their shit, you know, it, it would just add a little bit of emphasis to what I was reading down below. Uh, that is the best way, actually, to, like, consume cable news is, like, on mute, like, at an <laughs> Applebee's or whatever, where you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, like, I don't actually, like, need to hear word for word what this idiot's saying, because they're just an unqualified idiot yeah, on right. TV. Just blathering nonsense. Yeah. You get the gist of it in like the little summary that they say like, oh, Trump, you know, Trump says Brexit was my idea and it was great. Like, you're <laughs> like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, I know all I need to know. I don't need to hear yeah, this right. guy talk about how Trump yeah, did I, that. Like, I, 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 I don't that. need 15 minutes of you talking about how that story came about. Just the, the thing that you said, <laughs> that's sufficient. Well, so... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, man, we should play that little reel right here of Fox News. She is up in Fox News' head right now. Uh, is there, like, an audio clip that goes along with their, like, graphic about, like, Democrats' secret plan to give you health care and jobs? And yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And uh, I, one of the best takes I saw on Twitter was, um, like, it's nice that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was having so much time, such a hard time finding a place to live in D.C., like gets to live in Fox News pundits' heads rent-free for all of this period. We'll play that clip right now. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. 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 Alexandria 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 Ocasio-Cortez. 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 Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez.
She's killing yeah, it out there. Yeah, no, she she definitely seems to be. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to. It's she makes it look so easy too. I mean, <laughs> like she doesn't. All she has to do is like show up, and then people say ridiculous stuff, and she's like, uh, "It's actually not that ridiculous." Yeah, well, and, and I want to. They're like, "Oh, she owned I him again." I want to lead off this segment by talking about not the conservative response to her, but the hashtag resistance hashtag still with her donut uh what whatever the fucking mm. thing is moving forward together whatever oh are they yeah. are they mad that she's like an anti oh they're incredibly Democrat mad at her and you know no. it, it, watching watching like donut hashtag still with her twitter uh light up over this this little demonstration she did uh, outside of nancy pelosi's office about taking a, a firm st- how the Democrats need to take a firm stand on climate change and put forward a, a robust green new deal. Um, it's It's been really telling because you've seen things like she needs to sit down and shut up. She needs to be brought to heel is one of the uh, one of the ones that really stood <laughs> out to me. And I was... What, is she out there fighting for va- her values yeah. and the values that the well, Democratic Party and shares? I was, I was, well, get, get insane. Yeah, I lane. was reminded of how a couple of months ago, I think it was uh, like Will Meneker from Chapo uh, said that uh, if, if the Democrats retake the House, then the old Democratic Party establishment needs to bend the knee to progressives. And hashtag resistance Twitter lost their fucking minds because they thought that they didn't think anything they they knew that this was their their opportunity to say like look at this white man telling you know like like voters of color and women to like sit down and shut up and like bend the knee to which wasn't what he said at all and so now you've got like a young woman of color who has been elected as a congressional representative and she's going and very lightly nudging the party establishment. And all of a sudden, all of the same people are like, she needs to sit down, and shut up, like calling her girly and all of this other, you know, like, like, look, girly, you need to you need to learn to respect your betters. And I'm I'm simply paraphrasing here. That's that's almost a verbatim quote from one of these big, like 30,000 follower, like blue tsunami type accounts. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's funny. She, she's killing it so hard that uh, some like polling firm that was doing like twenty twenty Democratic primary like preliminary polling included her as like a potential yeah. candidate, even though she's constitutionally disqualified from running for president because she is under thirty five, <laughs> <Right, yeah. laughs> which is which is a requirement. But they're literally. You know, polling people saying like, "What about her for president? How about that? How do you feel about that?" Um, th- I mean, that's that's amazing, yeah. right? For for someone who has not even served a day in yeah, federal sure. office yet and is twenty nine. Well, and that goes back to what we were talking about in the last segment that people want a compelling narrative. They want somebody in office who sounds like they're representing their interests. And she does that. She does that better than people who have been entrenched in the party establishment for years. I mean, look at fucking uh, Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi, which is going to draw all sorts of ire 
on this podcast, I'm sure, uh, that, you know, Nancy Pelosi's first thing after the uh, after the midterm election was to say, like, we're looking for bipartisan solutions. We're looking forward to working with the Trump, you know, with the Republicans and the Trump administration on bettering things for American people. Like, does anyone take that seriously? I mean, I. I, it makes sense to me why she would say that, but it's, it makes sense to me too if it were fucking 1995. Oh, absolutely! But they're still on that centrist game, right? I mean, they're still in the in the game of hey, look, the way we win is you know we gotta we gotta play nice, but they we, forgot we gotta that they show didn't that we're ranked choice voting yet, yeah. you know. So they're not. There's no benefit in our right. current system. To, we have to. to doing we that. have to show because, that we're the adults in the room. Never mind that our president right. is literally a like six foot seven toddler. Right, and they forget the the crucial thing is that, like, the reason that they came to this position is that they're they're actually they're doing the right thing in one way, which is that they're looking forward and they're saying, look, we've we've already gamed this out. You know, we could go through the motions of. I fight for my thing, you fight for your thing, and then we nothing happens, and then eventually we come to a compromise. And they say, like, let's just cut, like, let's just get to the meat of the matter here. Let's just compromise from the start, right? But they forgot that that doesn't work when the other party doesn't do that, right? So you're in a situation where you're losing the fight before you've even had Absolutely. the fight. And you're saying, let's let's skip to the compromise. And the other side's saying, hell no. We, we'll never compromise. Yeah, 100%. And... It's like there's no there's no downside to saying like, OK, well, maybe we lose the fight. Right. Maybe, you know, Nancy Pelosi's like, well, you know, we're not going to pass, you know, an environmentalism like overhaul or whatever with Trump in office. So why even try? Right. Why even bother trying to do that? It's a waste of time. But it's not a waste of time because it gets people to see what you care about. And it makes Republicans have to defend their position, which is n- not a defensive yeah, right. position. I mean- at look at all. look at what the Tea Party did. You know, they ran on they ran for like six years on the idea that Obamacare was evil and it was coming to steal your grandma out of your out of your house and take her to a Nazi yeah. death chamber. You know, um, right? Death panels her grandma. Right. And, How many times know, did the fucking you know lines around the block at the hospital? You know, or whatever. It's like it did nothing. None yeah. of that How happened. Many, How many? Right? Your medical bills are going to go up. You know. Twelve thousand percent or whatever. None but of that happened. How many fucking times did the House, did the Republican-run House of Representatives pass an Obama repeal bill? It was sixty-three. It, yeah, times I was going to say like it was that. in the it was in the scores of times, which motivated their base because, like, look, our our guys are getting bullied by the overbearing Obama administration. Like, you get to paint somebody as a bad guy if you do that when. The Democrats are like, well, we'll we'll try to work on, you know, Nancy Pelosi's big response to uh, the the protest. We, we didn't even talk about the substance of the protest, which was about trying to force, you know, like really strong action on climate change, which, by the way, is going to kill everybody in like 20 years. It's a serious problem that we need to be addressing. And. Not everybody, just like eighty percent. Okay, of people, yeah. Matt, you're well, so, cer- you're always yeah, exaggerating. Certainly, certainly, nobody who works for the liberal pundit class <laughs> or lives inside the Beltway. It's uh, it's only going to kill people who can't afford private firefighters. <laughs> oh my okay? god! Yeah, all right. We might circle back around to that, but um, 
but yeah, her her response to this uh, this protest, which was um, not to take the uh, the Fox News line on what happened, which is what literally fucking every big media outlet did, was like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is attacking Nancy Pelosi, and like no, it <laughs> it turns out that it was actually kind of uh, uh, it was like a nice little uh, like strong showing of support. And they talked, and both uh, Ocasio-Cortez and Pelosi walked away from it going, like, I was really glad to speak with my colleague today about, you know, like, it (laughs) it ended up being this really amicable thing. But still, Pelosi's response is, we're going to revive this House Committee on Climate Change, which used to be active but didn't do anything while while it was active, you know? Which, that's not a fucking response either. Right. Well, and again, and that's what you get when you have a political system that that favors that two-party thing, right? Is that the other political party, they don't actually have to do anything of substance. All they have to do is just kind of look like they're doing something a little bit better than the other guy, right? And then you win, right? You know, the, the need is drastic climate right. action. One side wants it, kind of, but they're not, like, sure of the mechanics, which they actually care about. The other side just says, you know, that's, you know, ridiculous. It's a non-starter. We're not even going to yeah, well, think the, about the it Well, the leader of your it. party literally calls it a Chinese hoax to, like, somehow, right. like, destroy America. Right. And so the Democrats' position is, well, let's just compromise, right? Let's not actually do anything. Let's not try to do anything. But, like, let's have a committee, right, where at least we can get out there and say, like, man, we really should be doing something um, about <laughs> right, this. Yeah. Like, whew, what, what sh- well, wouldn't it be nice if we could? Um, and that's their solution, right? And it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not it's, it's energizing. Not su- it's not exciting. It's not yeah, doing it's anything. Not doing anything. It's not accomplishing it's, it's anything. It's not sufficient for the problem. And it's not a thing that people can rally around. Right. So, like I said, it, it's it's worth it to have the fight. Even if you're going to lose the fight, you, there's a benefit to having the fight, which is to get your message out there, let people know where you stand. And then when it goes horribly wrong, you can you can say, hey, look, we tried. We tried our hardest, you know, instead of saying like, man, well, well I guess we should have tried harder. Oops. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> well, to... to- but anyway, maybe we can all live on a blimp in the sky. <laughs> you you really want to talk about Bioshock Infinite? Oh hell yeah! It's so timely. It's like it's the hottest game of like two thousand and well, no, let's let's do that because I, I was going to bring up this other thing that happened around uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, but maybe I'll save it for the for the high note. So. Did she did she lead the sky uh, no, revolution? No, it's just this tweet by. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was from this the future. Tweet by uh, Edward Scary, Eddie Eddie Scary. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we'll, we'll get back to get yeah, back to busy time. <laughs> let's talk about that in the high note. Yeah. Okay. So yes, Brendan, a few what like months ago, maybe like a year ago, sent me a copy. Uh, seven years se- ago. Several years ago. Uh, I, okay, I'm slow getting around to media sometimes, but. He sent me a copy of the game Bioshock Infinite and has been has been needling me ever since then to finally play it because he thought that I would really like it. And it turns out that, yeah, dude, I'm fucking addicted to this game. I'm not getting sleep at night anymore because uh, like the autosave feature 
only kicks in after giant like hours long firefights. Um, so yes, I am now playing Bioshock Infinite. What do you want to say about it? Um, I mean, so that is a game. It is a game. You're, you're pretty far we, in the game. We live in a we live um, in a video game. That is a that is a game that has some ideas. <laughs> you know, I don't know that it necessarily knows what it's it's doing with those ideas, but it's a game where the setup is essentially it's like the what is it like the 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 forties? No, or it's the 50s no, it's earlier something. than that. It's uh, it's like it's like Music Man time. It's like turn of the turn of the twentieth century, sort of sort of the gestalt. Like you got you know like. All the barbers wear the stripy vests, uh, like waistcoats, and pretty much all of the men are wearing right. these like straw boater hats. There's there's bunting yeah, there's fucking like, everywhere. Yeah, there's like a lot of people wearing like a horizontal striped bathing mm-hmm, suits mm-hmm. and like with giant circle barbells and like you know robots yeah, totally. with handlebar it's, it's, mustaches. It's very and much stuff. like the Music Man sort of uh, sort of era uh, where everything was like yeah. quaint and like. Uh, like Main Street USA sort of shit. If you've ever been to Disney World, like it's it's that like guys riding by on a like a four seater bike singing uh like barbershop quartet. Yeah, I I kind of it's hard to even imagine like who like you know it seems like this is a really old timey thing, but it's also kind of like you know it's like a Republican fever dream of you know, we're the the master race and we're <laughs> right. destined by God to, you know, rule over, you know, the unwashed. Yeah, masses, sure. So we so we uh, uh, you know, now that now that we've painted the picture for the audience, we have to talk about the the actual explicit politics of the thing, which is you're living in the flying city of Columbia, which is sort of frozen in time right around this this era that we've just named. And also it comes with this incredibly extremist like religious and racial bigotry the whole the whole civilization is built around the idea of basically like american white people are god's chosen people and everybody else is subhuman and in fact worthy of extermination which becomes a plot point in the game yeah and it's pretty amazing too because uh you know your your character in the game is kind of like dropped in and you're supposed to like rescue this this woman or something um and the city is just you know kind of populated by uh these people who you know at by daytime they're like doing the music man or whatever and being like hi ho neighbor and then by night they like literally put on like blood red kkk hoods uh, and like get flamethrowers out and try to hunt yeah. you down. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Uh, every single time I play it, I end up with music from the musical Ragtime stuck in my head because mm. it's exactly that nice. same era. And also a lot of the politics of Ragtime kind of carry over into Bioshock Infinite. I wonder if it was an influence. Oh, I, the, it, it the has to be. There are some Yeah, parallels. absolutely. Um, what do you think about the music in the game? Oh, Isn't the music is great. And uh, so... If if you haven't played the game and you think you're going to, pause the podcast and come back in a few minutes because now we're going to go into like deep spoiler territory. Yeah, if you're if you're listening to this in 2013 <laughs> and you haven't played it yet, all right, fuck you, man. I, I finally played it. You know, it's better 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 late than <laughs> never. I think. Um, but yeah, so yeah. so part of the plot has to do with there's this science that this city has come up with 
of opening holes, these tears into parallel universes. And it's it's uh, 100% like multiverse theory that they're infinite versions of the world that you're living in and they're all taking place at exactly the same time. So if you can open a tear where something didn't happen, you can go into that world and that thing didn't happen. So then you get to like fix the problem that you got sent to do. Um, but some of it is also the tears open into uh, like the late 1980s, sometimes like mid 1990s. So some of this cultural stuff bleeds through and you end up with one of the best covers of the song tainted love I've ever heard, um, which is mm. this, yeah, there's some this like stuff jazzy version that you hear playing on a phonograph of, you know, it's uh, like a Louis Armstrong sounding sort of dude with a horn backing him singing tainted love. And it's so good. There's some, there's some great, uh, you know, uh, old-timey sounding music in there. It's it's really good. But is there um, a soundtrack? Is that yeah. a thing that you can find? Is just I just want all oh, I just I'm want sure all of is. the the covers of you know like like 80s and 90s songs in like the 1910 ragtime style. Oh yeah, you can you can totally. That find is extremely that. Uh, my shit. It, it's it's great. And then other people who have you know made similar songs in that style, kind of after being inspired by it, but. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a game that I think is is for coming out in 2013, um, you know, was kind of prescient about, you know, this type of an attitude, you know, being on the rise yeah, you bet. and, you know, this this undercurrent of, you know, white supremacy and, you know, patriotic sure. white yeah, supremacy no, it's, it's, uh, and it's, righteous yeah, patriotic it's, it's white supremacy. Tra- it traditionalist, um, like white nationalism is basically how you describe these people. And it's so obvious now. I don't know. I guess in 2013 when the game came out, did people think that that was really still fictional? Um, I, I guess, what, 2013, we had maybe Gamergate was going on. but No, not even. I mean, this was way before that. But um, no, not at all. And that's the craziest thing is that even, you know, in 2013, five short years ago, um, this game came out and it was that aspect of it was wholly uncontroversial right. in almost well, every it'd be like, respect, uh, okay, right? so everyone just said like, yeah, you're just, you're murdering, you know, fascist KKK sure. racists uh, with machine guns. We'll and go back to, and it was go not back to the original Bioshock, right? Which was the, that was the one with the sunken city at the bottom of the ocean. Right. And they were all hardcore objectivists, big, acolytes of Ayn Rand basically that like you know man should be completely unfettered from any kind of control and what happens when you do that uh basically a couple of oligarchs take over and sell people uh, like unvetted products that either kill them or drive them all crazy um which that also felt like you know it's it's a neat little political parable but it also feels very fictional because we don't have that perfect like anarcho-capitalist 
society that obviously would go to shit if you ever had that. that that's why we don't have it. So playing through it in a video game, that's a lot of fun. So in 2013, the idea of uh, an explicitly religious, traditionalist, white nationalist organization, like society, also probably felt very fictional. When now, we have people, what a fucking Matthew Heimbach just marched in the past couple of days uh, with a bunch of whatever his his reformed Nazi organization. They're, they're trying to like, you know, we need to get rid of the Sig Heils guys like it turns it turns your regular voter off. If we don't like carry swastikas around, like they'll probably like us more. Right. No, and it's it's crazy to think that this, uh, you know, if this game came out today, it would be steeped in, you know, political controversy. Sure. Um, and it, it just is so crazy to see, you know, how how far we have fallen in our political well, we've, discourse. We've seen where, that, you know, we're back to fighting like, well, are not are Nazis yeah. bad, really? I mean, come on, like, let's let's really think about it. Keeping here. on the the video game front, we've seen that kind of progressing, though, right? Because there's a there's the new Red Dead Redemption game where I guess there are a lot more like black and uh, like Latino cowboys, which is more historically accurate. But that has really pissed people off. Um, and that and right. that's just that's just an aesthetic choice. It doesn't have anything to do with the the overt political messages of the game. Which we're like Bioshock Infinite. It's clear that like the KKK are the bad guys. You should be killing them. There was that also. Right. There was also that one. Uh, was it? Ah, man, the one that takes place in like the, the Montana, Montana one, Far Far Cry right. or something. Yeah, that was like Far Cry Five, and yeah, that was one where they kind of did uh you know they they kind of made people think that they were going to make a game that was actually about that and then they kind of pulled their punches at the last second where you know it was like oh they're they're far right uh like separatists who want to murder the government but also uh they were like hypnotized yeah they were hypnotized or they're all mutants or something like that any anything to keep that away from the actual uh the the political thing that's happening right now uh, which didn't save them, by the way, because still all the gamer gators and all the like alt right were still super right. pissed about that game because it was portraying right. views that they actually hold overtly uh, as being the bad thing. Right. But I think it's it's amazing because to me, um, you know, looking back on that game, it was amazing and it had a lot of ideas, but I, I don't know that it really followed through on it. I know you haven't finished the game. I, ha- I but, haven't finished the game, um, but I have gotten far enough in the game to be able to answer one of your points. I agree that I think it doesn't follow through on its on its politics because I've gotten to the point in the game where, okay, at some point in the narrative, I'm, I'm going to try to sum this up. At some point in the narrative, <laughs> you get involved with basically with the proletariat people of color revolution in this city, like all of the underclass that have been treated like shit and worked, uh, you know, worked down to the bone for all this time. Like finally you get them a bunch of guns and they stage a revolution. And then it turns out that the leader of the revolution, Daisy Fitzroy, who happens to be a black woman, um, is also just this bloodthirsty tyrant herself. So, 
then all of her like it actually kind of reminds me now thinking about it it's like almost like that black panther it's very much like black panther the idea that like eric killmonger actually had all the right ideas but the studio made him into a bloodthirsty tyrant so that nobody actually engaged with the politics it's just like oh this is just uh it's it's south park centrism you know to treat the uh like white nationalist capitalist oligarchs exactly the same as like the people's rebellion because daisy fitzroy also wants to like kill a little kid and like end the the dynastic lineage or whatever yeah it's uh kind of cowardly in that sense the same way the black panther was right but i think there's a there's a lot of potential and and it's so sad that like video games and and comic books and stuff are really being uh co-opted by kind of these like far right alt-right types um with things like gamergate and comicsgate where they're saying like hey you know, comics and video games are for, you know, white men in their 30s and pretty much no one else, you know, keep your minorities and your. Yeah, right. I mean, they, they always they always thing. couch it in this sort of media is simply for entertainment. By right. which they mean, of course, I don't want anything that actually challenges my beliefs. Right. Which is, you know, having an interactive medium like that, you know, allows for the potential of it really is like an empathy building tool where you're inhabiting a world with these characters. You're able to, you know, kind of live a vicarious life, you know, hopefully in some of the better games, like make meaningful choices, you know, that that impact, uh, you know, the outcome of the story and stuff. And Bioshock, it really is kind of a letdown in a lot of those aspects where it's it doesn't really dig into those perspectives what's as the, much as I wish. Yeah, that it what's did. the term they use? I think it's railroading. I mean, like any Bioshock game, you're oh, basically yeah. just you're just going through rooms on a ride, um, and it, it, you're gonna fight some guys and maybe you'll die, but you're just gonna come back to this room until you beat it. And we're telling one story. You're you are on a ride through this narrative. Um, it's it's kind of hard, uh, even harder in this game than in the first Bioshock to uh like empathize at all with the main character with my with my player character um because he's already established as being kind of a piece of shit so then when he makes unfortunate decisions throughout the thing it's like well that's not what i would have done but i guess i'm booker dewitt right now and i'm a piece of shit i don't know i I don't (laughs) think it's the best pedagogy uh in the way that you're talking about uh using video games to actually tell tell a lesson and let people, you know, learn about consequences of different kinds of actions. Right. And I think it's a great way to, you know, it's a great medium for, you know, exploring, you know, choice and and interaction and, you know, being able to, you know, talk to people and, you know, make like, you know, dialogue trees and stuff. There's a lot of potential to actually engage in, you know, critical thinking and analysis and saying like, oh man, these are some real, you know, moral quandaries here. Um, And yeah, the game, you know, it kind of presents like a surface level of that stuff, but it doesn't really let the player, you know, engage in any of those, you know, systems. Yeah, totally. You know, I I think uh, in addition to everything that you just said, I think the potential for the art form to build empathy in people and put them into situations where you can see like live action suffering 
uh, based on choices that you made, if you made a bad choice. You know, I think the, uh, like the Knights of the Old Republic games, uh, especially the first one, are really good about doing that, where, you know, you can just go full evil, and it's fun and delightful, but also you have to deal with, um, you know, like this widow that you just stole the artifact from or something that was going to save her kids. Uh, whereas, uh, yeah, this, this kind of storytelling, this, the railroady thing where it's going to be the same story more or less, no matter what you do. Um, it, it takes the, it takes the agency away from the person in a way that it, you get to abdicate some responsibility. Like if something goes bad in the story, well, that's just Booker DeWitt's fault. He's already kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. But man, what a what a world uh, that they! I created. think it's amazing. It's, it's no, quite it's, amazing. it's great. Uh, the 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 art and the the theming and and the design and and the kind of theme parky design of all mm-hmm. of the different levels. I mean, is is amazing. And at one point, you actually go on like a like a theme park ish kind of museum-y ride about like the Custer's Last Stand sure, or something yeah. like that. Or yeah, what, it's, what is it's it? both. It's uh, it's uh, like Custer's Last Stand and also. Um, the Boxer Rebellion. Um, so you're like yeah. reliving American history through this incredibly cheesy, like, uh, like New Jersey boardwalk, like Atlantic City sort of turn of the century, uh, 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 uh like diorama, like interactive diorama that you're walking through, and it's so much fun. Yeah, it's great. No, the right. God, imagine imagine a game that was like GTA or whatever, but. You're like leading like the worker, like the dock workers, uh, like uprising or whatever. Think of like GTA, but newsies. Wouldn't that be Oh, that would be so good. You know, uh, (laughs) I I feel like we've talked about this before to the the idea of uh, like video games and the way that they they incorporate predominant political views when you could re-envision other, you know, existing video games to promote other political views like a sim city where your idea was to like raise everybody's standard of living, not just build an incredibly dense metropolis. Yeah, no, I think it's really great. And that, yeah, that's what I was saying. That's why it's so sad that the medium is, is kind of been co-opted by these, these regressive groups because there, there's so much amazing potential there to, you know, tell, you know, crazy, uh, you know, unexpected stories that can really open people's eyes and, you know, have them experience, you know, empathetic situations and sure. stuff like that in a way that's different from just passively watching it because it's like you, you feel it in a different way. Cause like it's you doing it, interacting with it. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and that's, that's ultimately why I like games that are big open sandboxes, like any of the like elder scrolls games, oblivion or um, Skyrim or whatever over something like halo where like halo's, it's like living through an action movie, but I already don't like all of the politics of the action movie, you know? So, like, yeah. I, I can get really good at, like, doing headshots on guys, but it's not going to be as satisfying a story as if I'm playing through a more open game where my choices in the narrative actually affect things. Yeah. Well, man, you should uh, you should finish this up. And then hop into Saints Row the Third, which is a very different okay. take uh, on uh, 
uh, you know, uh, on, on the political climate of uh, early 20 teens America. <laughs> All right, cool. That's a deal. No, I, I've been enjoying this one a lot. Thank you for sending me that copy. I, I'm sorry that it took me so long to get around to it, but no, it's great. You were right. I, I am enjoying this game on many levels, including the politics of the game, which are just bonkers. You know, and we didn't even talk about how you have like a weird like hook wheel arm that lets you like ride like roller. Oh, I want that. <laughs> you know, I would I would love to have one of those uh, like sky rail hook hands. Yeah, I want to know how he's so good at jumping on and off of it. He's really he, great at it. I feel like it would be much. Yeah, harder sure. In real no, life. it's it's kind of funny that you can like you can drop off of a roof uh, about ten feet and it'll damage your health. But if you use the sky hook and you drop someplace like 90 feet away, he lands with no problem. <laughs> it's an amazing There There's some very system. strange mechanics in that game. Also, uh, the the gal that you're escorting, Elizabeth, um, occasionally just wants to give you money. And you have to like. She just gives you like random things. She Sometimes she gives you like. Yeah, sure. In, in the middle of a like, fight. But when you're just uh, like out scouring the level, you know, you're searching all of the, the trash cans and lunch boxes and stuff for like yeah. random. Uh, I think it, it, like Silver Eagle is their currency there. Like if you collect yeah. enough, eventually she'll just go like, oh, I found some money here. Take this. And then you have to hit X. And then there's this whole cinematic of her. Wherever she's standing in the level, flipping you a coin and you grab it and like look at it in your hand and then that goes into your bank too. And it's just such a strange mechanic for that game. It completely interrupts the scenes all the time. Yeah, no, it was interesting. I mean, it's cool that she's with you throughout most of the game, but it also is a little bit weird because she doesn't like she kind of sometimes does stuff, but most of the time <laughs> right. doesn't. Um but it's still cool. I mean, again, in 2013, that was a much more, like, ambitious idea. Uh, it must have been a ton of work to even get it to that level where you're like, oh, most of the time I forget that uh, she's there instead of, like, actively... Oh, yeah, totally. No, that's that's <laughs> one thing I did want to mention while we talked about this game was I really appreciate the coding of the, the NPC Elizabeth character because she, like, for plot reasons, keeps her distance from you. Which means she's almost never in the way. And also she's coded yeah. to, if you bump into her, she moves like immediately a couple meters away. It's so much nicer than playing, you know, like Skyrim or something where you're having... You like yeah. Stand at the door and you're <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's... I, I, I appreciate... I appreciate you giving me that game. I think that we probably have spent... a enough of our listeners time talking about bioshock infinite uh we're gonna take a break we'll bring it out on a high note we've got some twitter drama just delicious oh i may not always love you but long as there are stars above you you never Sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. Without you. Without you. 
So it's been amazing watching today. I mean, I think a Twitter record was set. The highest ratio of all time? The highest ratio of all time. My high note for this week. And I'm so glad that we're recording on the day that this happened because maybe we'll get the episode out in time and it'll still be relevant and people will still remember it. Um, uh, uh, reporter for the Washington Examiner, um, Eddie Scary with two R's, Scar- Scary maybe um made just an amazing tweet today uh that was directed at who we were talking about earlier in the show uh alexandria ocasio-cortez and it was a picture of her walking down the congressional hallway wearing a suit jacket basically the original tweet was hill staffer sent me this pic of ocasio-cortez they took just now i'll tell you something that jacket and coat don't look like a girl who struggles. If you want to be a real congressperson, you better wear jackets with just holes in them. Like, if <laughs> right. you didn't sew your jacket yourself, you're not a real congressperson. There were a lot of invocations of the image of the, uh, like, cartoon hobo, the guy wearing, like, the, the barrel with just the two suspender straps, <laughs> like, holding it up, yeah. you know? Like, what what did you expect her to to be wearing yeah i thought she was just going to show up in congress wearing you know dirty rags with like a cardboard sign that's like will legislate for food any any number of people uh chimed in and was like i'm pretty sure that jacket is available at nordstrom rack on sale for like 25 dollars or something you know she's not sarah palining it here It's not like she was rolling out and she was like, yo, I got my ice on. I got my gold chains. Like, no, she's right. like wearing like a black jacket and well, like had like a black bag. Well, that's exactly what's so hilarious about the whole di- di- the whole dispute, right? That the conservatives are so gleeful about how poor she is. And like, obviously, the fact that she doesn't have enough money saved up to get a second apartment in Washington, D.C. means that she's unfit for office. But also, she's way too rich to be, like, talking about how she can't live because she wears clothes sometimes. I bet she has an iPhone. She's probably not even poor, right? If you have if you have an iPhone, it, it doesn't count. You're actually, you're, you're so much more right than just in the context of this because they love doing that shit, right? There was that famous uh, Fox News segment about, like, you know, so many people in poverty, but let's look at their actual living conditions. 95% of them own a refrigerator. Yeah. 63% own a microwave, you know, yeah. the yeah, ostentatiousness. Exactly. Right, yeah, and and they'll they'll do that same kind of poor shaming uh, anytime like they see a homeless like okay yeah he's homeless but how does he pay for his fucking smartphone it's like you dipshit like the only way to be a a, a citizen in this society at this point is to have internet access and also those things are not that expensive you can find a three generations ago smartphone that works perfectly fine on a like month to month plan for like pennies at this point you know maybe they wouldn't need a smartphone if you could like fund the public library system that used to provide you know people internet access but they keep cutting that down you know cutting the access and still does and all that and still does in a lot of places not that liquid flannel does not love our library system and our librarians but you're totally right yeah they they cut the the funding for public access to that same sort of information 
all the time and then complain about people doing what they can to you can't get a fucking job with that internet access it's impossible without a phone right like that's the craziest thing too is like they're like oh you have an iphone like how ridiculous it's like well what are you supposed to have like that's those are the phones that they make now right like you you could get one and it's really not that expensive and you Mm -hmm. need to have one to just exist in modern society right and it's like i just want to say to those people like yeah no i agree with you you know it is ridiculous that that person has to pay for that they should there should be ways that they can get that service yeah. without having to pay for it because clearly they have more important things that they would like to be spending their money on but they can't that's actually a really good idea the idea of you know we do that uh like bike share in some bigger cities uh like a phone share thing would be really good too just some really robust like hard to break like small mobile device that could access public Wi-Fi provided all over the place. And when you're done with the phone, you get the job and you can get like a nicer phone. You put it back in the basket and somebody else gets to use it. Yeah. There was a, when I was in New York recently, they had uh, these things where they were like on basically like street lights, like every couple of blocks. And it was like, if you were at the mall or something and there was like a little like directory thing screen or something, they just had these on light posts and it was basically like a iPad built into like the light post. Yeah. And it's just like, Hey, you can just like walk up and like, you just use this. Like, sure. Hey, if you need to like look stuff up, if you're like, Oh, my phone's busted or it's out of batteries or whatever, I just need directions. You can just go up to one of these things real quick. The internet, you know, check whatever, you know, text people. It's, it's yeah. crazy. It's not that hard to do and it's not that expensive. And it's a benefit for, you know, everybody. 100%. Well, I, I want to, my, my high note, that's, that's so much better of a high note than what I was actually talking about. Cause mine, <laughs> cause mine is kind of mean. Uh, I'm just glad that this, uh, Eddie scary guy, uh, continues to double down on this terrible tweet that he made to the point where, uh, Mike Cernovich, you know, the Pizzagate, uh, like date rapist conspiracy theorist Trump dude also tweeted at him like like quote tweeted him delete this which that's that's usually a tactic of the left like once you know that you've lost weird Mike it's probably about time for you to delete your account just walk away from it like yeah. go away it's like Jacob Wall getting fired by Gateway Pundit yeah um, yeah absolutely <laughs> it was pretty amazing I did love the takedown. That was like go back to Busy Town was was really good. Oh, that's so good. There are so many people making Busy Town uh, references to him. Who's that? Uh, Richard Scary? No relation, I assume. Yeah. Um. Uh, Lowly Worm is Antifa. I just want to <laughs> let everyone know. I'm into it. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, he's the real downtrodden working class, you know? <laughs> yeah, the only thing that's going to make this little Twitter saga better is if Richard Scary actually chimes in. Is he on Twitter? I don't know. Is he God, what is the status? Is he yeah, is he still alive? I'm going to What is the status of Richard Scary? And is he actually related to this guy cuz that would just be sad. Oh, that'd be so good. Oh man, here's a sad here's a sad fact. When I started typing Richard Scary, it was like it was just suggesting Richard Spencer. <laughs> Oh, no. I thought you meant, like, Richard Scary Rule 34 or something. <laughs> no, but it was like, oh, are you looking for Richard Scary? How about Richard Spencer? Oh, How about no. that one? <laughs> but maybe it's just because of my personal uh, search history of uh, seeing what Richard Spencer's been up to. You yeah, know, it turns out not much. 
that's a weird thing. Uh, if you if you make a hobby of following some of these like alt right or Nazi assholes, uh, you know, for for your own entertainment and uh, dunking, your search algorithms get really weird on some of these sites. They start to assume that you're alt right because you watched you know like one Sargon of a cod video, and it's like, well. You know, how about Stormfront? Like, Stormfront's, like, the next logical step from watching right. that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, like, uh, it, it's really annoying, too, because, like, uh, on Facebook, which I which I just hate more and more all the time, um, <laughs> it's, like, hey, you should follow all your political officials. And I was, like, you know what? That's a good idea. Like, I do want to see, like, what all the Republicans in Nebraska are, are putting on their Facebook pages but then it just, yeah, it just opens up the gates to just be like, oh, how about you join, you know, groups on Facebook or whatever. Right. Like, oh, are you interested in Republican congressmen? Like, let me help you. It's like, oh, no, that's, yeah. not, that's not what's happening here. Twitter is extremely bad about that, too, where you, you click through to some, uh, like, Chud's profile just to see what their deal is. And all of a sudden, all of your suggestions for, like, oh, who to follow next is... Uh, you know, like, like MAGA cutie, you know, 1355 or no, not really into that. Thank you. Uh, Richard Scary passed away in 1994. Oh, man. But man, he made over 300 books. He That's pretty getting, incredible. He was getting busy, man. <laughs> so the guy's been dead for 20 years. That's probably enough time for him not to be rotating rapidly in his grave because of his his namesake <laughs> yeah to check this out in uh his his original books from the 60s he later went in and like redesigned them to include like more gender diversity in like the 80s so like he would have like it's busy town and like here's all the construction workers and he was like, oh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, like, redraw this and put some, like, like a female steamroller driver in there and stuff. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Richard Scarry, noted feminist. <laughs> ah, that's an amazing high note to take this show out on. That's an amazing high note to take this show out on. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> Agreed. We're really glad that you decided to join us again. Uh, sorry for the delay there. The technological difficulties were inevitable. Yeah, you know, when you do 110 episodes, sometimes you're just going to have some some issues, you know? It's just the law of averages. That's right. We rolled right. a one on that one. Yeah. Well, our <laughs> apologies to our, our friend, uh, Lee Finky. Uh, we'll have him on again sometime soon. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, we haven't made a plan for Thanksgiving if we don't record next week, which is a possibility. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I hope we do record next week. I'll try to figure that out. But uh, in the meantime, you can follow the show, obviously, at liquid underscore flannel on Twitter. And wherever you're listening to us right now, give us a star or a like or whatever. And, you know, your hosts are, well, Brendan Williams. Brendan, hey. Here's my pitch for the Thanksgiving show. Uh, instead of doing a show, we'll just record the like Trump-related arguments you get into with your family <laughs> around the Thanksgiving dinner table, and then we'll just release that. We're, we're going to call it Ruining Thanksgiving, <laughs> and that will be that will be your episode for next week. Brendan, oh, it's going to be a doozy this year. Uh, follow <laughs> me Twitter at Brendan Williams with one L. I'm Matthew Hodges. You can find me on Twitter at 
Matt the Great. And we'll see you mm, soon. Soon. Ha, ha, ha.